Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie. Confusing, huh? The place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. I'm curious. Property news, Charlie. Do you consume any of it or do you just bury your head in the sand? None at all. None? I've never, ever looked at any property news ever. Ever? I feel like that's most property investors in Australia. I feel like 99% of them don't. But for those of you who do, I got something for you. You can head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email and push the subscribe button. Trust me, you're not subscribed unless you push the button. Uh, And then what we'll do is we'll notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes. Now, Charlie, something different just for today. Do you want to cue in the disclaimer? Let's do the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. We're doing the May 2023 update today. This is a bit of a special one because there's what we'll call the news update, what's been happening in the world of property, or I shouldn't say the world, Australian property, really. Well, to us, it's the world. It is. <laughs> but then also, we've had some personal changes, which uh, we'll reveal later in the episode. Make sure you listen in. But both Grant and I have actually been, can I say, making moves? Making, making different moves. A little, little controversy here. All right, so let's let's dig into these topics though, because there was quite a few interesting things that have happened in the last month that I think are important to discuss. And let's kick this one out of the gate with saying number one is the RBA surprise rate increase. Why did you say surprise? Because the probability in my mind was zero, and then it got raised. (laughs) Charlie's view equals surprise. There was like nothing else. All right, well, I'll share some insight on this one here. I uh, follow the RBA rate tracker, which for anyone who hasn't seen this, if you search RBA rate tracker on Google and come through, someone's put together this fantastic website and I I think it's on the ASX, so it's actually done like properly, where they track all the major economists, the banks and the intraday lending and they put together an index that gives a percentage score on what the likelihood is that the next rate rise will happen. And I quite like it because I've often hunted around going, well, what does CBA think? What does Chris Joy think? And then I'm trying to like pick who I'm going to back, where these guys have like a weighted index to give a percentage score. And I would have to say it's been the most accurate overall. It really has. It just makes it easier because you don't need to look at a whole heap of other news outlets. You just get the answer like one little hit. And the percentage changes every day. Yeah, it's a regular updating. Yeah. Yeah. So if a piece of news comes out and it's adjusted, like you get to see the adjustment. Now, I will say I'd never seen it at 0% before. Like in general, there might be a 5% chance or a a 95% chance, but it's never been like 0% chance. And it was. Does it make you feel like Philip Lowe is the one that runs that tracker? Just to shock people more? Like, wouldn't that be the greatest Scooby-Doo reveal? (laughs) It's like, and the villain is... <laughs> and all he's trying to do is get everyone on the list. Wait, I wonder if he's. I wonder if he's got like some secret, uh, like sports betting account where he's betting on the rate rises. He's just like taking that juicy seven-figure salary. <laughs> but wouldn't that be amazing? The odds would have been amazing on last month. Sports bet, please go. <laughs> but totally, like, because I, I saw that and I said, 
the logic makes sense as to why they wouldn't have increased it, right? Like uh, the spending through the economies sort of stagnating, house prices were stagnating slash declining, depending on where you were buying, obviously. But I, I could see the sentiment in the news. I could see it representing through the financial markets. I'm like, I can see why a 0% makes sense for them to stop and, and reassess. Because I was in the same camp where I'm like, yeah, 0% makes sense to me. Like a 0% change makes sense to me. I do, but I think we have to think about this a little bit differently. And this is my view and thinking has changed a little bit on this as well. Right? The reason the RBA raises interest rates is not to directly affect anything. It's like it has a knock-on effect to things. So it's all about knock-on effect. So what the RBA really does is they raise rates. That in turn raises the cost of mortgage that in turn has someone spend less when they go out or maybe knock on a holiday or buy a car. Right? So can you see like how many knock-on effects have to happen? Or maybe it's like they raise rates and then a business goes, geez, this economy is not looking that great now. It's more expensive. My mortgage is more expensive. I don't really want to borrow money in this business. I'm not going to hire that next staff member. Totally. So I'm not going to grow. So there's you know two things that have happened, one personally and then one on a business front where that would slow an economy down. Yep. Or a person maybe was thinking about buying a car and they go, oh, I'm going to wait a little bit now. Like all these things are like knock-on effects, not direct impacts. Even discretionary on credit cards, right? When people are buying all of things it. they don't necessarily need now. So when, you, when the RBA references or people in general reference the interest rate rises as a blunt ish- instrument, that's why, is because it's not a direct instrument. They're not going, hey, rents have gone up. We're going to directly do something to alter rents, right? So it's all knock-on effect. Now- a big part of that, though, and like the major part, is it's all about like psychology yep. and human behavior. So when they raise interest rates, their intention is to make you think about spending money differently, to change your psychology around spending money. And when they drop interest rates, what they're saying to you is spend. Yeah. Right? So that's the whole thing. And like if you think back to the start of uh, the pandemic, they dropped rates to zero and said, you know, we've got you till 2024. To spend the money. They were encouraging people to go spend. We got you, right? Don't worry. We're not going to... I mean, what happened? Different story. <laughs> now, if I was going to await what has just happened uh, here is that this is like, as a whole, what happened when they paused last month is the economy kicked. Mm. House prices started going up. Inflation had come down a little bit. Uh, employment had... Uh, sorry, unemployment had risen a little bit. It's like the idea that if someone was on a quest to lose 10 kilos, they'd lost the first two and then go, do you know what? I can go back to living my previous lifestyle. <laughs> I can totally do it. Where in this example, it's... Because uh, to that point, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll riff on that uh, analogy. Because even if they brought... Like if that person who's trying to lose uh, 10 kilos lost two kilos and they didn't change. So imagine they tried to go back and it's like, yeah, you're going to gain the two kilos back. But then they look at it and they say, well, maybe I need to maintain this and just see over time I might lose the third and the fourth and the fifth. Um, but then for the RBA, they're sitting there going, but I could totally lose that 10 kilos quicker if I cut more food or I didn't eat junk food or I went to the gym a little bit more, et cetera. And so the view of this in their eyes is that, hey, like we still need to lose some fat in order to get down to that ideal body weight and that analogy. Is it not just easier for them to go to the media outlets and just say, go and put as much fear as possible into people? Because the RBA doing one thing is good, but leading up to it, 
everyone was saying, nah, it's going to hit zero. Like to your point, banks were saying it, all the property um, sort of influencers were saying, no, it's just not going to change. Like it's going to stay as it is now. And then the RBA still increases it. So the outlets that people were consuming the information is the thing that props up their desire to pay. <laughs> well, they kind of do that. But did you not notice in the last month how positive the news is on property? Totally. But that was, that was the thing. I was like, oh, this, everybody's on the other side of it. Like they're like, okay, this is where it is. I can play this market. So you can see that there would be an issue with the RBA conveying with media to like, what do they call it? Propaganda? That's the word. Like, if they're intentionally re- releasing negative property stories to suppress the market, totally right. I, I would think that that's unethical. I, no, I mean, I, it would I never, wo- it would work. I was going to say, but, I'm not here to judge ethics or anything like that. I'm just here to go. Well, how would you go and influence society? I mean, that seems to influence as well. Completely, but even to that point, and there's some other pressures as well. Is that the UK and the US also raised so, rates, and there's a whole other side to interest rates, which is about currency. Yeah, that I think we don't appreciate at times as well, because there's this interesting mechanism where it's like let's pretend the US raises rates and Australia doesn't. Our dollar becomes weaker, and then they might buy more iron ore, which is actually inflationary because yep. that makes our economy kick. Yeah. They did that in the UK where the UK stopped raising rates and then the US did and the UK economy had this massive blip and they're like, oh, we need to raise rates. So there's a whole other side to this conversation outside of like our own, like inflation is a part of it, don't get me wrong, so is unemployment, so is is a whole bunch of other factors that go into this, which is there. But uh, overall, when you look at it, I could understand why they did the rate after it, I just wasn't expecting it. I'm going to dangle a carrot in front of your face. How would you approach it? I have been very baffled and confused on how we use interest rates as the mechanism to control this. I can totally just see you sitting at your desk, like clearing everything out, just like mapping out different ways to approach interest rates. It's like, how would I approach this different if I was in politics? All right, so I've got to... Um, <laughs> if I said to you, imagine you're in a house and you're, a little, and you're trying to adjust the thermostat, you're like too hot, too hot or too cold, right? Yeah. It's like the idea, like this is how I feel about it really, okay? It's like someone's in their house and they've, and they've got a heater. Just remember this. They've got a heater and they're cold and they're sitting there and like, oh, it's too cold in here. I'm going to buy a new house. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? Like it seems like cold. such a ridiculous approach to fix a problem here. We're supposed to just turn up the heater. <laughs> All right. So let, let, me, let me humor you with a different question. Grant, let's pretend that energy prices are too high. All right. So – we want to bring down the cost of energy. How would you approach it? Um, so that specific one, yeah. you would probably try and push for renewables, but that's not an immediate change. Like I actually don't even know how you'd... I'll give you the answer. Just it's super simple. Just build subsidy. more power plants. Totally. Put you'd up solar panels. You'd have to wait for it though. How would you solve it now? I think you're confusing the idea of immediate solution versus, versus solution. Totally. Right? So like uh, we'll... we'll step away from duration, but the reality is that supply and demand works. Completely. Right? If there's too much power, they bring down the prices so you'll use more. Consume more. Yep. Exactly. Right? If there's not enough, then prices go up. And this is the same with everything. Like, why does real estate work? Supply and demand. Supply and demand. It's whatever someone's willing to pay for. It. Yeah. So, if you think about, um, you know, property prices went down in Brisbane for a period of time because there was too much supply. Right, so I'm a really big believer in supply and demand, and this is a very long way of getting to the next part of this. I'm for it. I think look at the factors of inflation, 
because inflation isn't a generalized topic. Like when we think about CPI, there's things that sit in CPI. Yeah, there's buckets. Yeah, food, energy, housing, rents. And like each of them are affected very differently. Completely. And so if I could get control of this and tackle inflation differently, I would want uh, people out there, and instead of saying inflation's high, let's raise interest rates and just like try and have some knock-on effect, I would look at it and go, well, what can we actually do to influence the things that are inflating and what can we do about it? So like I think we, we need a much more direct approach for dealing with the factors of inflation, not trying to tackle everything. So instead of using a blunt object, use a sharper object of where it's happening. Precision interest rate. Oh, sorry. Precision inflation control, I call it. It's my new mechanism. So PIC. Got yeah. It. And then the, <laughs> bring in the PIC. And I've even got a funding way of doing this. All right. All right so give it to me. Work, work, for me, uh, work with me on this one. I got it. So let's pretend that you know, inflation starts happening. The old way of doing things is let's raise interest rates to slow down everything. Everything. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, that happens, but then. The consequence of that is actually that it's disproportionate who is affected. Yep. So we've seen more in more recent times that like if you're a property developer or a builder, you need a lot of borrowing to make your business work. You get smashed when interest rates go up. Completely. Or if you're a renter trying to buy your own property, like you are just stagnant now because... That's a different topic again. We'll come back to that one. No, no. I got you. But um, the ideation is that the people who are affected by interest rates... Other people that have bigger mortgages, which is often first home buyers. Yep. It's often people that are younger. Yep. It's like that is the one that gets hit harder. But if you're a boomer and you don't have a mortgage, one like, third of them just sitting there cruising. Ex- exactly. So <laughs> we've got this thing where I actually think a better way to do it is to raise GST. Yeah. Because that actually directly affects everyone in proportion to the amount they spend. So if you're someone with a lavish lifestyle, you're being more. Uh, affected than someone that is uh, at the, let's say, earlier stages of their journey who's maybe on a lower income. So I see it. <clears throat> so would you do it by buckets? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this out. Like, would you do it across everything? Yep, everything. Interesting. Okay. Would you phrase it something different so that people understand that you could take it back? So if you were to increase GST by 2%, which is just the same as the RBA increasing rates by 2% in your example here, that cool after this whole inflation thing's all good we might drop this back down to from 10 to 12 percent back down to 10 percent once everything's controlled all right i will speculate here that there's probably a whole bunch of second order consequences and things i don't know i'm not an economist or trained in this hey this is a thought exercise that's all it is let's say uh, gst we know is 10 Mm percent and we start seeing signs of inflation i think that they go cool we're going to raise gst to uh 15 percent in the early stages, and if it gets extreme, we're going to actually take it to 20%. Right? So they've got the ability to ramp up and ramp down the amount of GST we all pay because yep. we're all affected by GST. It's on everything. right? So um, when we look at that, that mechanism though, I want it really specific where it's like there's rules we all know. So if inflation is 3% on the CPI, cool, GST stays at 10. 10 yep. If it's at 7, well, it goes to 15 if inflation gets to 10, well, we're taking it to 20%. So there's bands that we all know and understand as a society um, and that it moves between those. So that directly has an influence on behavior. Like if everyone knew, it's like, or if you get 10 kilos overweight, you're going to die. You probably wouldn't get 10 kilos overweight. Totally. But if it's ambiguous like it is in society, people risk it all the time and then end up with diabetes or whatever it is and it greatly affects them. 
So I think there's a lack of transparency on how we run our economies in general. But anyway, the point being is like, well, what do we do with this extra government revenue? I think that revenue that's created should have to be directly used to impact the things of inflation. Yeah, to deflate the inflationary things. Cool. So um, inflation, 7%. We look in our basket of goods, our CPI, and they're like, well, it's rents. Rents are the issue. Sweet. That increased GST revenue, build houses. Yeah. Subsidize developers to build or offer schemes for renters or whatever is appropriate to bring down that component of it and ease that market. Interesting. So to fast forward on this, because it makes sense, it's funny, because it, the knee-jerk reaction is, hells no, as the consumer is going to increase everything. But I'm like, if you were to use it as a simulator in- instrument where like it's variable every month to like an interest rate, right, where people are like, they're just seeing like these micro changes to GST above what it is now at 10%, where it like goes to like 11 and a half and then 10 and a half and all these things as they're forecasting what is going to happen with inflation, they're almost controlling it a better way because the challenge to your point with interest rates is it's a blunt instrument because you have to wait for it to work itself through the system. But if you were to change GST, it's at the transaction, which means it's immediate. So if you're an economist sitting in the government, you go, I think that inflation is going to come up because we just printed a whole heap of money well, maybe it's going to be a good approach for us to start bumping this up by 0.5 or 1%. Now, because when we do a new inflation print, we've kind of adjusted for it already. And then if we're shocked by something, great, we'll shock the system. But we're trying to massage this system and go for kind of a bit of consistency as opposed to these freaking huge peaks and troughs. I really don't like that we use the property market and lending as the proxy to deal with inflation. So I I think it just there's other sides of it that are so heavily affected with like its shelter, its businesses being able to survive. Like I don't necessarily think, and I mean, don't get me wrong, it works clearly. (laughs) Yeah. This doesn't mean that there's the perfect solution. It's not. If a third of our market is renters, a third of people aren't affected already. A third of people own their home, which is potentially older people or boomers or whatever it is. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's a third of the market disproportionate to younger people, the 25-year-old trying to buy their first house right now or the builders or whatever it is, which are disproportionately affected, which I think makes this actually less effective. There's, there could be this marriage between both concepts, both ideas. Well, there there is. This is the thing. Uh, let's go there. I know that we're on topic one, but I think this is a great discussion <laughs> nonetheless. Do you know who else is involved in inflation? Probably the biggest proprietor of it? Okay. Government. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you going to go there? I'm, I'm going to do it here. Yeah, Let, good, let's just good. look at this. If you really wanted to bring down inflation in Australia, you really wanted to do it. Oh, this right. is going to end badly. Continue. Stop bringing in so many people. Yeah. Right? If like, you don't want rents to keep screaming up and there to be a shortage of houses, stop bringing people in that will need those things. And then the other side of that is, right, do you really want the unemployment rate to go up? Let go of some government employees. <laughs> Are you going to touch that? <laughs> they could. And you say, well, why would you do that? And I will go there. I don't want to be unsympathetic to these situations. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm actually pro immigration, to be clear. Oh, I yeah. want people coming into the country. Um, but there's a few factors I think that are misunderstood here. The best time to let someone go is when they can easily find another job. Yep. So if the labor market's really tight right now, which it is, to potentially let go of some government employees and allow them to go into the private sector, you've just solved some really huge issues. One, you've brought down government expenditure, which is great for our own debts. Two, is you're allowing the private market to find employees and do things 
where you're actually changing the unemployment rate. So you could do this in a really meaningful way. Like you could control um, the unemployment rate in a very different way through that in itself. Um, and then the other side is like how much they spend on stimulus and projects. Yeah. So uh, again, if we stopped doing infrastructure, that's all those jobs that won't be created, which slows things down as well. There's a, there's a very interesting thing that goes on right now where I feel like the government is contributing way more to inflation than they realize they are. It is. It is one economy, which is like one person who wants to lose weight and gain muscle at the same time. Yeah, they're working against each other to a degree, in my opinion. And I know that's not all parts of it, and I know there's other factors to it. But when you look at that and go, if they were truly, if the single focus was fixing inflation and government and RBA were aligned, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing today. Totally. It'd be different. It was, it, it was interesting when I was looking at the volume of their revenue that comes from property as well, to which like, property markets are very, very heavily impact the revenue of government. Well, can we go there? <laughs> Yeah, I'm di- dude, I'm sitting here just throwing carrots at you. I'm like just dangling them. <laughs> I was shocked by this when I first heard it. Right, what, what was, if a developer goes out and they say, look, I want to develop a property. Right, I'm literally going to take yeah. a, a piece of dirt and I'm going to turn it into something um, that I can sell to the market. How much do you think of that is tax and government spent? Dude, it was something atrocious like 30% or 20%. Yeah, a third. A third, yeah. So the third of the cost of development is tax. tax, whether that's in paying, like, you know, you've got stamp duty, you've got, like, a whole range of things that go into, like, planning and council. Like, I, I look at it and just go, overall, when I heard that, I was like, well, if they really wanted to make property cheaper, stop taxing developers 30%. If you were to go one step further, if you really wanted to generate more dwellings to support, like, the influx of immigrants plus the people who already live here, just don't tax the new developments for a short period of time. But but this is where I look at it and go, and you say, oh, that's lost revenue. Charlie's GST problem would solve this. There's there's that revenue created. The the PIC. (laughs) The PIC comes up. And and I I understand that there will be a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth order consequences and the economies are highly delicate, but it's just the, I like your concept of going, why not look in other spots for a solution or even to support the current solution that might have a quicker reaction? Technologies change, right? 50 years ago when we didn't have what we had today, it made sense to use in, um, interest rates because it, the blunt instrument was useful. Totally. Today with everything we have, I, just, I can't work out why we would not want to upgrade the way we do things. Yeah. I would, I would even, uh, and I know that you said blanket GST, because you could, as a if there were more second, third order consequences, you could group it into different buckets of like food or like completely. Or this is not super well thought through. No, no, I, I could be completely off on it, but something in this region, and I'm sure there is an economist out there that could take this idea and build proper uh, rules and structure around this for it to be even better and enhanced. And maybe it's a combination, right? It's a little bit of GST and a little bit of interest rates. I'm malleable to how that flows through. It's more the idea. It's the idea that the way we're doing things now just seems, it just seems dumb to me. As I said, it seems to the idea of like, I'm a bit cold in my house, I burn this thing down and build a new house. It's like, you just need a little heater. I don't know. It seems pretty reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) So, with all this said, if I'm reading between the lines, you reckon next month, uh, interest rates will go up. Oh, so let's get to the speculation part of this episode, shall we? (laughs) 
No, we haven't stopped recording here. I'm in deep thought. <laughs> every time I think I've got this worked out, I don't, and we just don't know what's going to happen. I keep hearing the idea that we're almost done. I'm just going to theorize to like if I was in the position that everyone else is in right now, I, I just look at it and see like maybe there's more, maybe there's not. My view is that it wouldn't surprise me if there's one or two more rises just to really jawbone the economy and smash this inflation and make sure that consumers don't get out of hand. On the other side of it, I look at it and think it's insane to not wait for more of these lag effects to come through. So I'm actually probably a pause for the next two months and then maybe one more rise is my view at this point. See, I reckon one more. I reckon it's going to be another 0.2, And the reason that I think it will be is because like, you saw unemployment started increasing, but it increased by 0.2. So I, I know that is a factor as to why they'd want to hold off because I'm sure there's others to wash through. But man, even like looking at the news for this episode, man, it's so bullish. <laughs> like there's so many properties that are Th- that's up the, and That's increasing. the part that concerns like, me. And so I look at that, the amount of immigrants, like you've now got China coming in, investing back in Australia, like there's so many of these things that are continuing to push the money through the economy that I'm just like, I, I just... Can, can, I, I share, can I share something anti, anecdotal though? Yeah. Is that the... I don't butcher anecdotal. that one. That's no, no, the one. Um, we went out for dinner um, recently with uh, actually a good friend of the show, Aaron. Aaron, yeah. So we went out to dinner with Aaron and Karina and we had a lovely meal. It was so easy to get a booking. Comparative to what it used to be, yeah. Yeah, like have you noticed that there's like, and I know, I mean, I was very biased. I like my food. But I used to really have to be forward planned by like two weeks to get a reasonable booking at a restaurant. I am pretty much picking anywhere I want in Melbourne on the day and can get a table now. Like there's a, and that's not universally true, I'm, I'm sure. But the places I like to go, I have noticed a substantial difference i also uh again spoke to the guy who runs my local chicken shop like we, we do chicken and chips on thursday night grant jack loves it i love how you're getting economic advice from a chicken shop guy <laughs> yeah well i'll put it out there is I, I asked him have things changed for you like is your because we've become friends i mean i see him once a week Besties, yep. yeah i bring we'll bring him on the podcast it's good I actually would he's got interesting views <laughs> Yeah, good. but I'll save that from there. I've gone. Have you noticed any changes? And he's like, absolutely. And I said, can you can you share? And he's like, overall, he goes, why the amount of customers we have is probably only dropped about ten percent, which I still think is a reasonable amount because spending behaviours changed. So they're not spending as much for chicken and chips. So he would routinely, and he was talking about like because uh, in this chicken shop they have like they do chicken chips and they got the salads and then they do like premium meats of like you know gyrosses and all that stuff as well and catering he said chicken and chips they're like staples up other two sections way down their premiums are down yeah so his spend is actually changed he said about 25 to 30 percent since peak which i was like uh, i think that again just looking at it and i know well food is one of the ones people tighten first in behavior but I would love to be able to get some data on like holiday stuff. I mean, we're away right now, um, which is interesting. Nothing's been that busy. No, it's been empty. So I look at it and say, are these the signs? Like we've referenced on this podcast before and even in our other podcast, Business and Investing, shout out to the other show. Mm-hmm. I actually look at that and start to consider that it's like, I, I can't believe that. Can I share one more? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
we really enjoy taking Jack to um, caravan parks, like the big four yep. caravan parks and all these other places because they're normally packed with kids. If as a parent, when they've got amazing, it's like Disneyland for kids. Like you got a toddler. Some of these caravan parks are amazing. Now, normally, it's very difficult to get bookings in school holidays. So what generally happens is there's like I don't know if it's an unspoken thing, but if you have kids that are like under five and not in school, you generally go the weeks around school yeah, holidays before and after. Totally, and you can also be well. There's more kids of that age there, which is good as well. Yep. I couldn't believe in some of the places, not far from where we are now as a hint, I won't name it, but could get bookings in the school holidays easy, multiple accommodation type. So I do wonder if people are tightening their spend on holidays. I would love to know more of the data. And maybe we get this like on Webjet or something like someone who's listed or uh, is releasing it. But I suspect we will see that travel and food and stuff has had a very stagnant first. Completely. Decreasing. The bell tightening is going on, is my take. It's always funny when you talk to me about big four caravan parks. I always thought they're like four majors, like the banks. No, that's the brand. No, I know. Yeah. I, after you told me once, and I'm like, hey, big four. <laughs> and I actually found out, wow, that is the brand. I got it. But I'm, maybe I'm, you t- so my take here is like restaurants, easy bookings. Yep. All right. My local chicken shop guy, she does an amazing chicken. We should even just have an episode on his amazing chicken. Um, but he's saying his revenue's down, customer behavior's down, me booking uh, accommodation for the family down, and then even us for this weekend away. Like, dude, even on the we, – we played golf yesterday. Empty. <laughs> it was great. But um, we, we enjoyed that, but in general, very golf different. Was, yep. Are you seeing anything antidote – like in business, in anything, are you seeing anything that's having you saying there's a change? Yeah, so businesses – uh, there's a serious compression. So I've seen businesses go through difficult times. They're, they're not profiting like they used to. They're laying off staff and things like that. Um, I live in the CBD of Melbourne and like there's just not as many people at cafes. Like this cafe that I usually go to, lines used to be around the corner and now I just get to like walk in and the line's like three, four people. And again, like these are anecdotal. Are, are they seasonal? I'm wondering at all. Uh, potentially, but I look at it and I go, so things that I see, I'm like dropping. Like the demand for things are decreasing and this is going to have an impact on the businesses, which is what they were looking for. But the question in the back of my mind is, is this people being prudent and saving or skimping for the potential of something else to worsen or happen? AKA, maybe they're going to lose their job or AKA, maybe things are going to get a little bit worse and they're just going to have to recalibrate. But they're still just sort of putting the nuts away just in case, right? So there's taking that money and they're putting it away versus... They're still trying to spend it. It's just being allocated elsewhere like food and utilities. And so I think that they're just squirreling the money away as opposed to it really having an impact to them. And that's what we're seeing, which is why I still think that they're going to have to increase. I don't think think it's broken as of yet. And I'm still surprised that the breaking of some of the regional banks over in the US has not broken more of the global system. And so I I think that all those other countries are still going to have to continue pushing until like bigger things like this. I just don't see that yet. Time will tell. And it is a fascinating thing to observe. Very, very fascinating. Thing so to on, your, on your properties, what do you, so every time you look at your property and you do a bit of a forecast and you go, oh, what about like the over the counter mortgage rate <laughs> that I have to factor this in? What are you looking at now? So I was around like 7%. But now I'm bumping it up to like 7.5 and maybe even 8 to go, what's my 
new forecast potentially going to be worst case scenario? So that's an interesting question in itself. I had originally, when they first started raising rates, thought it would be near impossible for things to get to seven, and that was my number as well. Um, for, full transparency is I'm still cash flow positive at seven. Yep. So I'm not concerned if things get to seven. I've built my portfolio in a nature to do that. But I do wonder, has everyone else and will prices fall if they do hit seven and maybe there's some interesting opportunities to grab at that point? I am now working off the idea of seven still because yep. I actually think that that's Again, this is opinion I would hate for anyone to make financial decisions on this and potentially wreck themselves. So, this is not financial advice. Go well, the long-term average is seven. Yeah. So, I go, well, if I'm on that, again, my opinion is the world has changed. I don't think seven is going to be the average ongoing. I think it's actually going to be lower than that. But I would think that in today's world, depending on the stage of the journey you're at as well, like maybe you start buff pretending things are eight. Like, can I survive and last if things hit 8%? It's not... It's not unreasonable to think that way at this point. Interesting. Because I was uh, looking at properties, uh, like investment properties. I was like changing to like a 7.5 to go, all right, worst case, where am I going to land on this potential purchase? Just to factor that in. That was deep for topic number one. But you know, I realized we're not, we're not even going to get to the our personal <laughs> updates. We might do our personal updates as a, a the, totally. ne and the next episode because totally. otherwise people will be having to listen through all of this, although I feel bad, I said at the start. We'll see. <laughs> totally. All right, let's jump into the core logic report now. And I literally thought the RBA surprise increase was going to be a five-minute topic. We've spent 30 minutes on a grant. Ah, it felt like five minutes. Felt like five minutes. We'll work with it here. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring this one up here. So um, this is two months in a row now where property prices have gone up as an aggregate. So if you look at the national, and again, I don't like doing this because I think it's so, uh, it's a lie in so many ways. Like what Sydney does versus Adelaide is, you know, always going to be different. And then even what properties are for sale in this time are going to be different. The one month to the quarter, like. <laughs> again, it's, I'm becoming more and more aware just how much of the data in property is absolute bullshit. Let's uh, unpack that for a second because we had a conversation where I was looking at like the peaks to the troughs and uh, as a percentage and going, well, if you bought a million dollar place that went up by 20% down by like 14%, like you're almost a parity to what it was before, like did all the value get wiped out and you just came in and you're like, well, it's almost irrelevant because it depends on the What's, that, what's that saying? It's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. Yeah. Like it's, it's a great intellectual conversation. It's really good for statistics and to go, oh, wow, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, what has changed hands? Okay. So, uh, I think in a lot of times, people want to think of the home value index or even the individual state indexes of like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. They want to think of them like ETFs. Totally. And we think it's like, totally. oh, it's like the S&P 500 versus yeah. the Australian index. But it's, it's not. And I'll express why. If you were to bring up um, the ASX 200, or just keep it localized, and you look at the companies that are in that, they don't actually change that much. No. So if you went back in the last five years, and I'm sure there's been some changes, don't get me wrong, but overall, Commonwealth Bank was still in there, Telstra is still in there, BHP is still in there, and these are massively weighted things. So if you go back five years and you bought a share of um, that index, like the Commonwealth Bank component is the it's same Commonwealth Bank component today. Completely. If I go buy a Commonwealth Bank share today, it's there. What, 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 what sell it? Still a Commonwealth Bank share. So the index is made out of things that stay the same, relatively. I know some companies change, but just work through the idea. 
in property, whatever homes sell this month are not going to be the homes that sell next month or next year. So where I think there's a real falsity around this index is that uh, we have seen that listing volume is fallen substantially. I'm not. I'm not making that up. Like listings are down massively. Completely. We also hear things that will win the premium markets. They're not selling right now because they don't feel they're going to get a best price. They're going to wait for a different time. Yep. So in theory, if there's B grade stock getting sold and there's less listings overall, or even C grade stock, how do you compare that against last year or the year before? when maybe A-grade stock was selling and the listings were saying, oh, like it's not comparable at all. And you think, uh, because everyone goes off the location and believes that that is the biggest driver comparative to a one or a two-bedroom house or like a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom house comparable to like a five, six-bedroom house in your example here. Like, is there a better way or a better statistic to look at or is this just, no, it's kind of like there's just so many variables across it all that if you were to really go, dive into that level of detail, you just send yourself crazy. I feel like this is like my bathroom scales where it's like, I know it's not accurate, but I'm still going to use it. Against itself. Well, even then, it's, you couldn't necessarily use this against itself because of what's yeah, no. the underweighting of <laughs> it is not made up. But it's like, it's like the acknowledgement that it isn't pure is the most important thing to comprehend. Yeah. Um, and Kate, I'll give you a little uh, story within this even further. Like I'm looking, I've got the report open in front of me and I'm looking at Melbourne and I can see annually it's down 9%. It's like, I can tell you right now, my property in Melbourne has not gone down 9%. It's closer <laughs> to going up 9% than down 9%. Totally. So it's like, and then here's the other kicker. That's not accounted for in this. It's not for sale. Yeah. So it's it's the anomaly. It's The, the yeah. transaction hasn't happened. Yeah. So I look at that and just think, as much as I enjoy this report and I love going through it, the continual understanding of how things are reported, what actually sold, like all of these other factors, it's just so far dystopian. Can I share one more? Yeah, and then I got one to add on. It's based on settlement dates, not what the people are making agreements for today. Which is like 90 days, 120 days, sometimes 60 days. <laughs> yeah, so if you, um, and this is why I think it's really interesting when we speak to our buyer's agents, is because they're out in there, just how far sometimes they're ahead of what's happening. Like, because uh, at times I've spoken with Goose or other people in the industry, and they've been like, this thing's taken off. Like, we went to an open and there was 40 people there. And it's like, that's not what's showing It's like, wait here. a minute, it's not here. <laughs> this is not representative. Completely. Yeah. So, very, was, very interesting stuff there. It was, it was interesting. Like, I was looking at a place, um, and we'll say that it was like a, a million dollars, but the, the place was literally just the land. Like, that's what you were buying was the land for a million dollars. Um, and all of the other, and it was like a three-bedroom house with bath kitchen, et cetera. And then you go and look at another three-bedroom house that's not run down, and it's like almost double the price. <laughs> And so, if this when this thing sells, it completely it completely skews this data to add on to the example that you were. Well, providing. that's that's median. Yeah, but Sorry let's go that. further into that. So, in that example, in the last twelve months, when you look at all that's happened in developing and building, if you're someone out there looking to buy a place right now, are you more inclined to pay a premium for something that's already finished? Totally. So you don't have to take that risk with the developer and the time with the developer. Supply chains are blowing out. You can't be confident how long a build's going to take right now. So all of this is skewed because people will pay a premium for finished homes right now. 
Don't you, don't you think that the property investors just like the simplicity of having something to go off as opposed to understanding all the details that sit below it? Is it not just easier to just go off something like a hedonistic index and just say, ah, oh, yeah, okay, now I've got something to compare it against? Do you know what I love the most in our conversation and what, and what I feel people may misinterpret uh, here it's, um, is the inefficiencies. Yeah. So uh, let, let me put it this way. is like I actually believe it would be really hard to make money investing in a company like Apple. And I'll explain why. That's just a belief, not financial advice. Because if you look at, man, the second something drops, it's known. Yep. Like how quickly the news is reported, how many analysts are, like how am I meant to get an advantage playing that game? Yeah. Like I literally think the only way to do it for me would be to get some dirt on Tim Cook and um, like exploit internal information. You to have to. Insider trading is the only way to get advantage. Yeah. For, yep. for me, that's my options. I'm not going to say other people can't do it, but for me, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Or otherwise you're on the same level playing field as the rest of the market. The second it happens, that's when you said. Property, that's not true. There's inefficiencies everywhere. So if everyone's out there, like they go, oh, look, Melbourne's down 8.9%. I'm not going to do that. But you know things or are able to be an area expert better or go to op- uh, op- open homes or develop relationships with agents. You can literally build yourself a strategic advantage. Totally. So f- for us, like we've been able to build strategic advantage with relationships with our buyer's agent. So for us, we've been very much able to do that. So when you hear things like, look, this report isn't accurate, that should excite you because that means there's opportunity within this where you can get disproportionate returns. Mm. So true. It's, but it's still a good report. I love the thing. I'm still, still in on <laughs> that. I'm like, read. Dude, I love Harry Potter as well, right? But I'm not going to try and like levitate or, you know. We'll try it later. But (laughs) we totally can. Uh, Any other observations that you took out of this report? All right. So, uh, things in the report, I I think there's a little bit of like Captain Obvious in here. Like, Grant, rents are up. Get out. No way. Right. So, they've been saying that for a while. I don't think anything's uh, new in that regard. Um, We also see that uh, the supply thing's getting worse. They're still letting people into the country. There seems to be an immense shortage of dwellings because we haven't solved the supply situation. And I'm going to say even a lot of legislation stuff still seems to be causing issues there. So that is a huge one. Um, nationally up 0.5. Standout performers, though, would have to be, I'm looking at Sydney once again, another strong month. So th- up 3% for the quarter now. You know, one thing I did find interesting throughout it was, um, so there's a report that talks about like uh, where the house prices were um, when COVID until the peak and then it was what they called the peak to the trough and then there's a third one now which is like uh, current through trough. So, it's, so, wait, like, so it's peak to trough and then trough to current. Trough to current back up. And so essentially what they're suggesting is like the troughs happened. Like so it's like trough to current. <laughs> like it's it's almost as though the core logic's looking at this going – so, they're trying to see if – all right, so the COVID boom happened. Yep. And then, have the gains of the COVID boom been wiped out and then have they potentially rebounded back? Totally. So, they've taken the average, which we already know the, the challenge. Oh, by the way, I love we both use our fingers so to point that like, one out. So, on the audio, I love it. <laughs> um, and then it's got some uh, like Hobart, Darwin, ACT. It's like at cycle trough. 
So it's trying to look to say, is this the trough, not the trough, or is this just like a spike and it, it might go further down, which I actually thought was an interesting layer of going, I suspect that they're indicating that the, the potentially the troughs occurred for most of these, like Melbourne, Sydney, uh, yeah, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth. I feel, well, I mean, maybe we just get to this indirectly here. Do you not feel that a lot of things we're looking at, whether it's core logic, whether it's other things, they point to bullish? But this is the thing. So then I'm like, RBA's got to be seeing all this. And they're here in the news outlets. Core logic's even sitting there going, there's this third layer. Like it's peak troughs. Now we're going back to the current. And don't you just say, they go, if you guys are not going to take the actions that we're saying that you need to take, <laughs> I'm just going to keep beating you further with it because something needs to break, something needs to change. Do you think potentially here that we're going to see a series of, let's say, another percent of rate rises? I don't think we'll see another percent. Um, uh, the thing that I tried to play in the back of my mind is I'm like, do they start doing point ones? And they go, well, we might increase it by 0.5 or 0.75 over the next six months and we'll just do 0.1.1.1.1. And I'm like, I just don't think it has That's that got to be more jarring, doesn't it? And so I started trying to intellectualize with potentially what it has to be. But then to your point, I'm like... It, it can't work. It has to be like that 0.25 or has to be that 0.5 where people go, ooh, and they do the calculation of that's going to cost me a couple of thousand dollars a year. <laughs> like that does hurt my purse strings versus 0.1, oh, it's a couple of hundred bucks. Don't worry about it. I'll just, I'll just hold off buying a new phone for another month or two. What's your outlook on property overall here? Let's say for the rest of this year and then for the next uh, year after that or, or you can extend the timeline. So I think human beings are so fascinating. We'll just, it'll just become normalized and we'll just come back into this normal state of buying property, I think, as, as Australians buying property. But then I think the second you layer in uh, immigration <laughs> and the second you layer in a steady RBA where people go, oh, now it's just 7%. I get you. I know how to play this game. Now I can see the opportunities. And the second you layer in these additional things and then um, they change APRA, uh, which we'll get to in a second, around the borrowing rates and like how they assess everybody and so everyone's borrowing rates go up a little bit so they can borrow a little bit more to push more back into the system. I think this thing's going to go on a run. Um, if you were to look at it, I'm like, that's just, that's where I'm at. Human beings, are, uh, we are pretty typical. What about you? To your point, on the signals I look at right now. Oh, and then supply and demand, by the way. Sorry. Yeah. Con uh, continue yeah. supply and demand challenges. Uh, you mentioned immigration already. You've mentioned that rates can't go up forever. I mean, I guess they can in theory, but it's unlikely. <laughs> but they, yeah. How terrible it is to be a renter. Like getting long-term rental accommodation is very difficult. Uh, oh, many of the signs that make property go up seem to be happening. Yep. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. My outlook is bullish overall, yep. very bullish here. I'll also throw in just a couple of more. I think it's likely that they change to uh, annual land tax instead of stamp duty. I think APRA is likely to change their rules, which we'll mention one they're changing soon. That is very bullish for property if they change those two in itself. Uh, we had Aaron on the podcast where they're suggesting 40-year mortgages. Totally. Concerns me. Why does it concern you? It's too bullish. But this is <laughs> so I feel like every time I read the news, I'm happy and sad or happy and angry. <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, for the properties that I currently have. And I'm like, ah, oh, but come on. It makes it hard to buy more, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm just like, part of me is wrapped, part of me is not. And 
you know what? Let's let's move on from cool logic because I actually want to dive into what you were just saying. So you were talking about how APRA is looking to change something. Walk us through that. All right, so we'll, we'll go through um, uh, something here. There's this interesting thing that's going on at the moment called mortgage prison. So let's pretend someone uh, took on a loan with a third-tier lender. I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to name any, but let's just say a third-tier. We all know who they are. Pretty much. <laughs> and let's say they've got a mortgage for a million bucks and they're on a 7% rate. Um, but then, uh, well, sorry, the rate is now 7%. Now, they look at that and they go, well, I could refinance that mortgage with a uh, first-tier lender and potentially get 5.5%. 6%, yeah. Yeah. This is a saving. But they can no longer qualify for the finance because rates have gone up. So, they're stuck with the mortgage they have because their income hasn't gone up in a ratio in accordance with the interest rates. They now no longer qualify for that loan. Bang, you're stuck on this mortgage. Yeah. Now, doesn't it seem silly that in theory someone can afford a mortgage at 7% but can't afford a mortgage at 5.5%? It's, it's one of those things that just does not quite make sense. Co- completely. It makes no sense. So, uh, it is my understanding that in the coming months, based on a few like little reveal cards we've seen uh, from other people, is that that is going to be changed where essentially for refinancing, so not for new lending, just refinancing. but for refinancing, if you're refinancing for the purpose of a lower rate, they're going to see those buffers change dramatically. So they're going to allow people to change their loan or refinance to another lender for a more affordable mortgage. Let's assume there's not caveats in there. Let's assume that it's all refinancing. Is this a good thing for property investors? Because it means that we can potentially refi, extract some equity and Go no, again. this is actually like the counter to the RBA heavily. <laughs> like, what's, so, what's supposed to happen <laughs> here is a person can't afford it. They have to sell their house at a lower price. That brings property prices down. Yep. Instead, government changes levels <laughs> legislation and that's why… Maintain the current. <laughs> yeah, t- totally. Like this is a problem in my mind. This is the same thing with uh, when the pandemic happened, right? They said, I oh, will do mortgage freeze. Like, how's property prices going to come down if they're willing to freeze people's mortgages? No one had to sell. Like, there has to be forced sales for prices to fall. It That's what causes them the to fall. <laughs> it has to happen. So, they're looking at 1% buffer. So, if it was, uh, to your example, if it was a 5.5%. It's, it's 3% buffer is the buffer right now. It's right now. So, for the refinance, they're exploring the idea of the 1% buffer, which means that in some cases, like, you're getting that 2% benefit on the refinancing that you've got. I think you're misinterpreting the buffer and how it works. So, it's, so the buffer, oh, yeah. Okay, so if, if the mortgage rate is 7% today, yep. for someone to apply for a refinance, they're assessed on 10%. 10%. Yep. Right, where if someone in this scenario here, they're saying, well, if you're on 7%, we would assess you at 8. eight. Yep. So the actual interest rate change no, is, totally. doesn't affect that at all. Totally. It's just but the assessment rate buffer. The, the point I was making was that there's that 20% that 2%, that example of a 7% uh, 7% to a 10% assessment could increase people's borrowing by, what, like 20%? No, it's massive. It's actually like, huge. Like that, that is a big change for people looking to extract out equity. No, so that wouldn't – it's not for equity. It's only refinancing. It'll only be PPR. So, so not, oh, you reckon they'll put caveats yeah, around They're going to put caveats around be, it. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. It's not going to be for property investors to make more money. They're definitely – all over that. Unless you're looking to do a PPR and do some debt recycling. Well, you right? would even see now the loan products for investors versus, oh, yeah. uh, sorry, people in, uh, buying a house is very different. 
But um, notably here, I don't think that APRA is going to make any changes to incentivize investors. Yet. Yeah, well, yet is a very – there's still people out there with, in the idea that um, rate cuts are going to happen this year. Like, it's not unthinkable here. Like, let's play through a scenario. Break, they put up uh, interest rates next two meetings. Yep. Economy crashes and then they're forced into a position where they need to cut. All right, let's run that. Do you think it'll happen? So we're mentioning a topic here that I don't think has been necessarily thought of in ways is like how things, how long can things stay at the current level before they break? So I'll, I'll, I'll put something out there right now is like it's one thing to survive the rate hike cycle. It's a completely different topic of how long you can sustain it if it stays at that level. So I look at this right now and go, Many of us have been able to survive this rate hike cycle through savings. But if they hold rates at this level for a year, how many people run out of savings? Like how many people out there right now are just going, do you know what? I'm not going to adjust my lifestyle. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Just dip into the savings. Just dip into the savings. It'll come good. It's probably us to a degree, by the way. (laughs) Well, don't put me in this, but you totally. Well, have you really adjusted your lifestyle? No. Yeah, but that's the, that's the issue. That's why we have inflation. We're still just still we just go out to restaurants angrily. That's the, we're just at the end of the night. We just sit there and go, "This is ridiculous." I'll see you next week. I hang on a little bit of me is a little bit happier because there's not as many people there, so it's easy for me to go to the restaurants I want. I completely acknowledge I haven't massively adjusted my behaviour, and it's it's starting to show that other people have now. But to that point, I feel... Can we throw one more thing? We live within our means, though. We're, we're not, we don't um, spend more than we earn. Completely. For others out there, though, they are. But doesn't this just... Like, to use the example of someone trying to lose 10 kilos, right? And they've lost two kilos and they've got another eight to go. It's like, once you've lost the two kilos, even just maintaining that, like, if you spend, add more, you're going to put the weight back on. But isn't there this layer where if the RBA just says, you know what, just leave it here for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and we'll just see all those people that are spending the savings, they're going to have to change. They're going to have to sell. They're going to have to do one. That's the point. Instead of uh, dropping the interest rate. But but this just turns into the same thing. We, We don't necessarily know how they're thinking about this. So using your example of the weight loss, someone's lost two kilos, they need to lose 10. There's the whole aggressive nature of, well, I'm going to fast. You know what? I'm going to drop this next eight in the month. Yeah. Right? It would work. Right? But then on the other side of things, they go, well, do you know what? It's more sustainable to do it in this way. I'm going to do it over longer. We, we don't know how quickly they're if intentionally they're trying to go. Correct. Yeah, real fast, real hard. Um, so that's what is for consideration here. And then the other sides of this is like, I think we're neglecting the idea of how many knock-on effects happen from real estate in our country. Mm. So if the volume of home sales slows down, do you know what else slows down? Real estate agent pay. Totally. So then they're not spending money in the economy, right? So then you can see, well, okay, well, what were all the services and things that people that were real estate agent pass conveyance? Well, I tell you what, BMWs are suddenly going to become in massive supply because for whatever reason, a lot of the real estate agents I know drive BMWs, but they don't buy those cars. C six is racing. Do you see what I mean? So just in the idea that real estate slows down. Or how many movers don't get hired because people aren't changing locations. But also the the taxes that get paid to the government. Like stamp stamp duty, it all has knock-on effects. So staying at a higher rate where the economy is slower 
eventually catches in one way or another. And potentially this is my personal bias or just the way that I'm trying to intellectually justify where they're at is historically this is kind of where they've been at. Like, and so I'm like, maybe this is the settlement stage. So maybe they've just gone from a ridiculous interest rate. Just, well, this is where we've been at. People can survive this. People have been able to survive this. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. There's a lag in the system. And that was my point, right? I totally agree that there is a lag in the system. There are, there are people burning through savings because I concur with what you're saying that will get sh- found out and they'll have to sell their property and all those kinds of things. So, so let's say you put someone on a weight loss plan and it's not a sustainable thing, but they're losing the weight. How long is it before they binge? Trust me, they can do a six-month water fast. <laughs> no one needs food. Yeah, but eventually uh, with that person, when they break, right, it explodes. Yeah. And that's what's known as a hard landing, just to clarify points. It's like if they go really hard, don't recognize what's going in the in the background, is like they can really and mess then, things up. And but. then they see everything and then it's a knee-jerk reaction the complete other way. So is that where you're going? See, I've, I'm feeling as though this could be it. I... <laughs> You know what? And this is—I know we're speculating on a lot of things. Dude, in this total episode. speculation. I want speculative, Charlie. I feel like human behavior tells me you've got to be aggressive because if you show any lenience here in this any environment, weakness, people will take advantage. of People it. just flip back. Interesting. It, I, I can I can intellectualize with it. I just uh, my gut just tells me maybe maybe they hold maybe they hold maybe. Do you know what I love on this? Every one of our monthly update episodes basically turns into us discussing the RPA and the core logic report and then speculating on what happens next. Yes. <laughs> Wait, hang on. I actually can't think of a better I'm way to spend this time. I'm like, are you saying that we changed the structure of this episode? <laughs> Not at all. Because as an investor, this is some of the stuff you want to be aware of. Yeah, totally. But uh, I will say that I concur with a lot of savings and I think that something's going to break and I think they're going to have to adjust it. I just think that part of me hopes not. Part of me hopes that this is like, it's almost like they've done a really good job just to like land the plane perfectly. They're not trying, it's to, never, smash, it's never they're not trying to smash through the aquaplane. Although um, maybe that's just me trying to be a nice guy. No, I'm a nice guy. I don't feel they're going to break something for sure. <laughs> Wrap it up. Let's do it. Awesome. If you're listening to this and you have any points that you would like to add, maybe you can add on Charlie's GST idea because I'm down with the PIC. Uh, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your name and email and reply. Like even if you've got questions or anything that you would like us to dive into, reply to any of those emails and we'll pick it up and bring it in these episodes. Just want to say thank you very much for joining us and we'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.